But I think what they get wrong probably most often is that, well, it's a couple of things. One is that <clears throat> they have to understand that how important it is to report that data back up the chain to, to executive leadership. They really care about all the minutia of, you know, the daily KPIs, the, the pipeline generated, the, the qualified opportunities, the deals that resulted in revenue, which is another thing that a lot of uh, newbies get wrong is that they see the BDR manager role as someone who's there to just fight for BDRs and be their champion. Instead, they need to understand that the, the whole BDR team is a program designed to generate revenue. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Back with Brad on this episode of Decision Point is Emmanuel Carpenter. After last week's episode discussing his evolution through the BDR and the books he's written on BDR production and SDR production, Emmanuel and Brad sit down today to talk about BDR management and SDR management and what it entails and what's different about that compared to the initial BDR role. For more information on Emmanuel or either one of his books, head on over to emmanuelcarpenter.com. Sort of hopped around, talked about prospecting, and I want to talk about sales management, inside sales management. And so let's talk about, let's talk about the book, and I'm just going to give you the floor to teach a 15, 20-minute class on 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 inside sales management and and how we get it, what people do right, what they do wrong. I know you and I talked a lot about the uh, SDR model of like taking SDRs and then converting them into salespeople. I think that's kind of the standard. So I just love to hear hear your opinions on uh, what people do right, what people do wrong, and why you wrote the book. I think that's a big piece. Is what what drove you to want to write the book? And we talked. I know we highlighted that a little because you were running. You were running kind of class, a little, you had written a privy, previous book, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I wrote a book called Brain Dump about five years ago while I was working as a BDR. And it was mainly for the folks who were already BDRs, just looking to get better and, and upgrade their skills. And so I was, I was working as a BDR. I had, I was, I was like the top performing BDR earning six figures and I would always get the BDR managers to sit the newbies next to me and say, hey, just sit there, listen to Emmanuel, and you know, if you have any questions, ask him questions, right? And so I would unofficially be a team leader and I would help them and do things like that. And then I would get to the point where I just got frustrated of, you know, always dealing with the newbies, being their peer model and being their their team leader. So I decided, why don't I just write a book? And that way, if, if they ask me any questions, I can just give them the book and then after they read the book, if they still have questions, they can ask me questions. And so I just wrote them all the things, which is why I call it brain dump. I said, let me just do a brain dump of all the things. Do you still have done. this? Do you still have this book? Yeah. Yeah. So I still have brain dump. It's still available on Amazon. Yep. It was published in 2017. And yeah, people still buy it. It was uh, it was rated one of the top 69 prospecting books of all times by an organization called Book Authority. And so it's still on their list. I think it was number 50 the last time I checked. So, and so, so that was brain dump. And so recently I had same thing happen. So first of all, I created a company called SDR Masterclass. I did that about three years ago and I was working that kind of as a side hustle. Essentially it was just video learning. So I would pre-record videos, teaching SDRs how to get better at their jobs, 
how to leverage specific sequences and things of that nature. And then I would teach them how to get promoted to the next level as well, be it to an AE role or to a manager role. So I would have a course called SDR to SDR manager, SDR to AE manager. And then I would teach them things like how to go outside the box to find leads and, and prospect and, and do their outbounding and objection handling. So I pretty much covered everything in SDR masterclass. And then so I would I would give that tool, especially to the people who were looking to go from SDR to SDR manager, they would get the job and then they were like, OK, so now what? I'm in the job. How do I do the job? Right? I use this to get the job. How do I do the job? So one of my peers had reached out to me to ask that very same question. And so I had communicated with him via Slack on some some ideas on how to do the job. But I just figured, again, instead of me just creating another course on how to be an SDR manager or just, you know, doing Slack messages and LinkedIn posts and everything, why not just make a compilation of everything that I've been telling people and put it in a book? And so that's what I did with the latest book. Now, that's how you lead SDR teams, because I just wanted all that information to be in one platform and one book for people to be able to get access to it. What's the what do you think the core mistake people make when managing an SDR team? The core mistake that they make with managing SDR teams is that they think up, up front that it's going to be all about coaching, like, and they're going to just teach them everything that they did as an SDR to be successful. However, there's so many other things that you have to do as an SDR manager. So you know, yeah, you definitely coach, you definitely train, but then there's things like writing sequences talking to your peers outside of the organization, like, you know, meeting with sales enablement and sales operations and demand gen and reporting data back up the chain to executive management, you know, doing pipeline reviews, just being like a, the psychologist when, when BDRs and SDRs have personal issues. There's like so many other things that you do outside of being a coach that they don't prepare for. So I think they have to prepare better in that aspect. I'm sitting here laughing, just thinking about my my you know, 15 plus year history in the in the SDR space. The number of addition, the number of positions that exist today that didn't exist 15 years ago, and the number of departments. Right? You know, you had you had a VP of sales and you had a bunch of inside sales reps. That was it. And now you got, and then you get a manager, right? You get an inside sales manager, but now you got a revenue operations. You got you know marketing, which. Marketing, heading up SDRs, uh, sales heading up SDRs. I mean, there's just a variety of, of different, so many different roles and positions that have sprung up. You know, even just thinking about like, so do you remember the first time you heard the name Salesforce? Yeah. So the first time I heard the name Salesforce, I want to say it was about, what, 2004, maybe around. Yeah, around 2004, because they were new. They were like known for being strictly an online CRM. And at the time I had worked in platforms like Goldmine and Act. Act was the platform that I was using as my CRM. Okay. And I, sales- I messed it up, man. They, they, <laughs> they, they hit that one fat. Yeah. But the fact that it was all online, that was like the, you know, that was the seller for them that you can do it all online from anywhere. And, and, you know, they became the leader in the, in the space. I, I just remember, and I was listening to somebody talk about this, about just the history of cloud. I just remember um, how everybody was scared that, that you know, some the company, the cloud, whoever was running the cloud was going to go out of business, right? So if it was Microsoft, you know, hey, what if they go out of business and we lose all our contact information? 
And then at some point it was a, a security risk to, to keep it on site, right? Now you got to get it off because it's like your, your, your data site could get hacked. So you got to get it into, you got to get it in the cloud. So, you know, because it's more, it's safer. I got a whole team of people that are trying to protect that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Funny. Funny. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not to, not to distract you, but I was just thinking you're, you're taking me down memory lane. Just talking, you're throwing out all these names. And then I just started laughing to myself, thinking about like all these positions that haven't didn't that have sprung up, right? That didn't exist. Yeah. And uh, then I started thinking about you know, hey, you got you know stuff like Salesforce and how it took you know 2008. You know, you get through the recession, and all of a sudden, you know, you'll recognize this name. Other people, Siebel, which was you know, rock. You know, they they really had their foot in on everything. And if you're 24, you don't even know what that is. Right. So anyways, it's fun. It's fun. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, so the one thing that I, that I feel like we haven't covered enough on the podcast is just, you know, just kind of the blocking and tackling of, of sales management, sales leadership. Um, I think we have a tendency to really talk about the tactical stuff and not about the intangible stuff like, like leadership and what, what makes a good SDR leader and coach. And I think a lot of this is, you know, you highlighted, there's a variety of departments that are, that have sprung up that people need to, to interact with. And yeah. so, you know, what's, what's the one thing I guess, okay. So we're just sort of kind of walking through this stuff. What's the one thing you think most people do right versus the one thing that they do, they do wrong. Is there something that everybody just gets right? Yeah, I think the one thing that people get right is that they know that they have to coach. I mean, that's just part of the job and they understand that. So they're prepared to coach SDRs on how to send a good email, how to do role, you know, they do role play and they do like objection handling and, you know, they listen to calls. They offer their feedback on recorded calls and they look at they look sometimes they look at emails and offer feedback on those things. So they know how to coach. So they usually get that right. They understand that they have to coach in that role. But I think what they get wrong probably most often is that, well, it's a couple of things. One is that they have to understand that how important it is to report that data back up the chain to, to executive leadership. They really care about all the minutia of, you know, the daily KPIs, the, the pipeline generated, the the qualified opportunities, the deals that resulted in revenue, which is another thing that a lot of uh, newbies get wrong, is that they see the BDR manager role as someone who's there to just fight for BDRs and be their champion. Instead, they need to understand that the, the whole BDR team is a program designed to generate revenue. So... If it's not generating revenue, then there's no point of it being a BDR team. A lot of BDR managers think that, hey, my BDRs are making qualified meetings. They're they're generating pipeline. We've done our share of the of the job, right? And now it's up to the AEs to close the deal. However, uh, those two teams have to work in sync. If those deals are not closing, the CFO is going to look at that program and say, well, you know, maybe we don't need BDRs if it's not resulting in revenue, right? And so that's something that BDR managers need to understand is that it has to result in revenue close for it to be a successful program. And then the other thing is just, like I said, the AE component of it, where 
you have to be, you have to understand, yeah, you're going to be a champion for BDRs as well, but you have to understand the, the other component as well, because a lot of times you're running into conflicts with SDRs and AEs, where an AE might say, hey, this lead is not qualified enough. That's not meeting our expectations. Or an SDR might say, you didn't flip this opportunity. I can't get paid on it because you didn't change it to a qualified opportunity. They need to understand both sides of the house where, you know, the perspective of the AE and the perspective of the SDR. But I think if a lot of people get promoted from SDR to SDR manager without going into that AE role, then they don't really truly understand both aspects of the job. And also, if you're an SDR manager who's never been an AE, how are you going to teach an SDR manager how to become an AE? So it's really important <laughs> for you to teach them the next step. So you're preparing them for the next role anyway. So it's super important for you to be an AE first before you go into an SDR manager. Role. I think that's so that's good insight. I think the the one thing is you're sort of talking through this, and I was starting to Google this this fact is, and I want to ask you this question. So I think it's really difficult to identify coaches and leaders. It can be very difficult, right? Because the indicate the indicator we use is typically previous performance. And so one of the things that I read a stat one time and I was trying to Google it to see if I could validate it, but I feel pretty good about or it wasn't a stat, it was a it was um it was this. Three of the the winningest coaches in NFL history never played a down at NFL football. So Lombardi, I believe Paul Brown and um and Walsh, the 49ers, never played football in the NFL. And so, you know, when we think about good coaches, we typically think about great players. And that's not always the case, right? There's and obviously there's that the adage, those who can't learn teach. But more importantly, is like, you know, how do you find how do you find those people? Because I think what typically happens is we go and we look at the highest performing reps. Right. And then we immediately say, hey, they did it. So they need to be coached. Now, there's two problems in my mind with that strategy. One is you're now taking your top performer off the phone, making them unproductive and possibly putting them in a role that they don't want to be in. True. The other problem with it is you then are now creating a situation where you're typically it's like copy this person. Right. Do what this person did. Just copy. And we're assuming that they know what they're actually doing consciously. Right. Like a good like a good athlete, like a good golfer may not be able to actually tell you what he's doing. I think any good athlete may struggle to articulate what they're physically doing. So what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on that? 100 percent agree with that. You def, you're definitely taking your top performer and you're making them a manager. So now it's like you're not getting that performance that from that top performer anymore. And then secondly, those people are typically not prepared to be in a leadership position just yet. So you have to train them on how to be a leader. So, I mean, there's things that they have to be like, for example, first of all, they just have to care. They have to care about the individual contributors on their team. And that's a big difference when you've been an individual contributor. All you have to do is care about yourself and, and doing well versus now caring about a team and their progress and their career progression and how they perform, totally different mindset there. But you have to care about them. You have to be a motivator. So you have to, you know, find out what motivates those individual contributors to perform well. You know, is it is it being a drill sergeant and making sure that they do their daily tasks every day? 
Is it showing them what they would get as a reward for, for being an individual contributor and doing that job well? Uh, or is it something else? Is what, what motivates them? You have to figure that out and you have to motivate them. You have to reward them publicly and discipline them privately. Some people uh, thrive on positive motivation. Some thrive on the negative reinforcement. Like if you don't do this job well, then you might not have a position long. If you don't have a position Which is really super funny because I think leaders tend to e- either positively or negatively and they can't understand or figure out how to do the, the opposite, right? So if you're a positive reinforcement, it's hard to be negative. If you're negative, it's super hard to be positive. Yeah, yeah. My, there's a there's a hockey coach that I know that can only that I guarantee he writes all his emails in all capital letters. Like he only does one. He only knows how to do one. One then, form of motivation. Right, and just yelling, right, yelling. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the only. It's, it's oh yeah. Yeah, but so. yeah, I mean, those are like some of the things that just that managers need to learn. They need to learn to be motivators. They need to have an inspection process. So. Don't just motivate and tell people how to do things, but you need to really dive into the data to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Like, for example, one of the big mistakes that FCR managers make is that they assume that BDRs are sending good emails and then they're responding to prospects who respond to their emails. And that's not always the case. You have to really dive into those emails and look at what's being said when the you know, they're, they're giving objections over email, but a lot of SDR managers are not looking at that and offering advice on how to, how to fix that. So, like I said, inspection process is super important. And that's like one of the main focuses of the book is that you need to have a coaching framework and you need to have a very thorough inspection process. So you look at the data and you determine based on what's not happening and what's not occurring, what you need to do to fix that that situation. Like, for example, if a BDR has a bunch of no-shows, then you need to understand, okay, if they have no-shows, that means they're inviting people to meetings, but they're not coming to the meeting. There has to be a reason why, right? So you dive into the data and you find out that, well, maybe there was no business case for them to have a meeting. Maybe they were just saying yes to get them off the phone. Maybe they didn't ask qualifying questions. Uh, Maybe they didn't intrigue them with a way for them to leverage your software or whatever you're selling uh, to help them in their daily job. So you have to really dive into that. And then maybe you're not offering anything of significant value for them to want to have that meeting, like access to an expert, maybe uh, a free coffee or something of that nature. So it's all about that inspection process. I think the one thing that's really overlooked too is like, you know, I think it's possible to have, one of the things that I think is possible, if you're booking appointments Mm-hmm. And, but you're not showing up to the appointments. So like I'm an SDR. I think there's a real possibility that what is one of the things that could be happening that I think gets overlooked is you and I really connect well and I mm-hmm. liked you and I booked the meeting because I liked you. And now I realize you're not going to be on that appointment. Right. So I'm not going to show up to that appointment because the dynamics of the relationship change. I've never heard anybody talk about that, but I think that's a reality. And I'll tell you what made me think about it. Mm-hmm. I got a call from G2 crowd. The gal perked my interest. I get on the phone, her and I are talking and immediately a guy from their company. I highly dislike now gets on the phone. Oh, yeah. it, we're done, man. I'm over. It's like, I'm getting out. I'm, I hope they're listening. To this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, because like all of a sudden the dynamics changed. Like I, I was interested 
she perked my word. And, and then all of a sudden this other guy gets in the whole dynamics of the conversation changed. And I was just like, turn, I just like, I couldn't, I just turned off. Like, I don't want to keep going. I don't want to go past go. Yeah. I'm, I'm, amazed, feeling, I'm amazed at how many organizations don't have that smooth handover process where the BDRs not only just join and introduce the AE, but they actually are active participants in that conversation. It's, it's amazing that they just book the meeting and they're done. They don't even and they're done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you got a real, I mean, if, because even a small nuance of like, you know, hey, you and I have a great conversation. Now I see you're not going to be on the phone. I mean, that could, you know, that could turn me off. I mean, I, I think one of the challenge, one of the issues with appointment setting is that we, we try to accomplish a lot. We try to accomplish a lot, but one of the simple things could be is like, there is a relational part of selling. And when those relationships start changing, it is going to affect the the ease of which you potentially could move someone through the stages yeah. of the process. And yeah. so I could have all the business need. I mean, I could have no business need and super relational and you could maybe sell me. But if I have business need and it's relational and you start changing the relationships, that could affect you continuing to go forward. So I would say, hey, if there's no show rates, you got to start asking yourself, you know, hey, is it, it, could it be as simple as like, you know, this person's really good at building relationships and then they're, they're clearly not getting on the phone. And so now the desire of this person to show up is going to go, or the prospects to show up could be low. It, no shows are complicated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be, I mean, I think there's a little, do you think there's a little bit of mystery to some of this? Like, you know, some people just get on the phone and they seem like you listen to a call recording and there's no substance or content that people show up. Mm-hmm. And then other times they sound great and they don't show up and you're so confused. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It runs the whole gamut. It's like some people show up just to show up to be nice and they have no interest in what you sell and, and they have no buying uh, influence at all. And then other people don't show. Yeah. It's just, it runs well, and, and I think you gotta be careful with, with no, show. I think no shows are, this is not the way that I plan on this go, but I think it's an important, I think we're going to talk, let's spend a second talking about it. I think you got to be careful with no shows to, I think we assume, and there is some fair assumption here. If I'm not showing up, I'm not interested. I do think that's, I mean, 90% of the time that's true, but you got to balance that with some people are just busy. I mean, there's some, there's some people that, that just like are getting screwed because my world is changing. Yeah. Like I really am interested it's just like, for whatever reason, every time we go to book this meeting, it's just like all hell breaks loose. Yeah. 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 Um, I got a slack like 15 minutes before our meeting and I have to deal with that. I have to put out a fire or, you know, I have to deal with something else. You just got to read the room. I think at that point as an SDR, you just got to read the room. Exactly. It's like, you you know, you just got to read the room and understand what's going on. Now, there um, as, we're, as we're talking about the sales management piece, I think there's something that you said that I want to um, make a comment about. I want to get your opinion. Mm-hmm. So your journey from SDR to sales manager, it's, and I think I joked with you in the first episode about people, uh, like you had some, uh, what are you, some, what is the word? I mean, I, maybe I've had too much coffee. I'm having a hard time remembering all the words. You had like followers. You had a bunch of people that were like, um, you had a posse. You had like a posse of people that were hanging around you, right? Yeah. They'd be like, E, what about this? And what about that? It's like, yeah, I'm going to call them. You had some hangers. You had the people that were just hanging, hanging around. How, how much, how important do you think that is to identifying leaders and talents? Talent, asking yourself, okay, does this person have a group of people that want to follow 
him or her. Yeah, yeah, th that is really important. I think it's funny because I talked a little bit about that in the book where my journey of being a leader started when I was a kid. Like I would organize like what we had, like these electric football games with the big magnetic field and things like that. Where my age now, this is before like PlayStation and all that. And so I would organize, <laughs> organize these football leagues where everyone brought their little men and they put them on the magnetic right. field. So I would do that early. And then I would just like have flashes of leadership growing up. You know, in high school, I was a captain of the tennis team. I was a company officer. Uh, in the military, I was a squad leader. And so I was, I was being a leader and showing leadership growing up until I finally got to the point where that displayed itself in, in business. Not everyone's a leader. And, some, and that's okay if you're not a leader. But I think it's important that you have people who want to follow you regardless of just people who want to follow you in order for you to become a leader. So like you said, people are already, they're seeing your success. And so they're asking you, hey, how did you achieve this? How did you get that person to have a meeting with you when, you know, other people could not? How did you write this particular email? How did you, how did you hit quota two weeks early? So definitely you need those people to follow you because eventually that's going to be your role as a manager. So yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to establish that followership early on. Do you think people spend a lot of time looking at, so what's the balance between accomplishment and followers? So I got a lot of followers, but I haven't done anything versus I've done a lot and I don't have any followers. Like there's some kind of high, there's some, you know, graph to be built, right? That's like. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I wouldn't imagine it's probably like 80, 20, 80, 80% accomplishment and 20% ownership okay. because, I mean, you have to get the job done. For right. You can't have no accomplishment. You can't have zero. You can't be not, you have to at least be able to garner some respect. Yeah. Yeah. For the but job, if right? Not, if you're not crushing it, people aren't following you. It's like, why am I following someone who can't even hit quota, right? So, right. so that's definitely one of the key. It's like taking financial advice from the guy with the, the 92 Taurus. <laughs> I love that. I got a lot of money in savings, I swear. <laughs> exactly. yeah, you're right, though. Yeah. so okay no this is this is good man this is great well like i said i mean i feel like there's so little talked about just the sales management and you know how to lead teams and leadership uh we spent a lot of time on the tactical what to say who to say it to uh yeah. very little time on and look this stuff is like is is softer and a little bit of its art and so it's uh you know what how to say something you know coaching I think is an event. So I, I, one time I um, had asked somebody, I'm like, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about companies that have raised money and all this is like, you know, why don't they write an article on a company that's just ran, you know, for 20 years, just really successful and build up an arsenal. And the guy's like, well, that's not, you know, journalist journalism is about events and there's no event in a 20 year, you know, build up. There's no, there's no climax. It's just, you know, for 20 years, I just did the right yeah. thing. And I think the, the same thing is true. Like, you know, sales management is a, is, is not an event based topic. Right. So yeah, you're right. You're so, right. so we got to talk about it. So I, I still think that sales management is, you know, you have to have that growth mindset and to be able to continuously learn in order to be a good sales manager. I've, since I've become a manager, I've been through so many leadership courses that like sales Academy, Sandler, uh, Lewis leadership, where you're learning to bring your whole self into an organization. 
and it continues. It goes on and on. I don't think it ever stops. You're always learning a better way to be a manager. Like for example, in Sandler, you learn how to, if you're going to, if you're going to coach someone, then you need to have like a five to one ratio, five compliments to one coaching event. Because you suck, you suck, you suck. Exactly. Otherwise, it's like you're thinking I suck, I suck, I suck, right? It's like you have to motivate them first and then for them to be open to taking that um, that criticism or that that uh, constructive criticism. Yeah. So again, it's uh, it's just, I think with everything, it's just ongoing growth mindset continuing to learn, continuing to be better in order to be a good coach and a good manager. Yeah. I think, you know, look, being a good coach requires you um, to be, you know, a chameleon of sorts because you can't motivate. Everybody's different. I mean, you got to understand what causes somebody to tick and then you got to get, you got to, it's kind of like, you know, being a good, I think being a good coach, like being a good parent, right? I mean, you get a, you get a hand, you know, you start having a handful of kids, you start realizing none of them are coming out the same. None of them, zero of them are processing the information the same way. So you have an a, a event in the house or event, you know, family event, and everybody based on their personality and how they view the world is accepting, is doing that differently. Like the house is a mess. It needs to get cleaned. You know, immediately my, one of my children, you know, just, you know, starts getting on the phone and calling maid services. I'm like, you don't have authority to do that. You, you know, you can't call them. You can't call me. You don't get to get on the phone and start doling out the bank account. What are you doing? Uh, but they all process it differently based on their, you know, personalities. You know, one, yeah. one starts making phone calls. One starts, you know, cleaning because they think they're going to get in trouble. One start, you know, it's like every, and the same thing as a manager, right? Every one of your um, reports it's got a personality that's processing the world differently and you got to be able to understand that's why I think personality profiles are so important you know I don't I'm sure you're running those as part of your system I think it's just super important to know what makes people tick yeah. and because the reality is sales good sales people come in all kinds of different personalities there's a handful of personalities that probably are not going to be as successful as sales but once you start getting good salespeople, you start realizing they all come in different shapes and sizes. And you got to really be able to, to understand what makes them tick. And then to figure, you know, once you can understand that, then you can figure out motivations, right? Agreed. I think that starts with your very first meeting with your direct reports. You're asking, how do you like to be coached? How do you learn? Do you learn just by watching videos or doing the job? Now, if you- them, is somebody going to say to you, hey, Emmanuel, I really like somebody to stick their foot up my rear, my hind end. All right. I, listen, I'm only showing up to work if you if you ball me out the day before. You're right. I actually had someone like that. <laughs> Are you doing it? You know what? It's like my boss is too nice. I would like them to really just tell it like it is and, and really, you know, give it to me. Like, let me know what I'm doing wrong. And just kick my butt when I'm not doing well. I mean, well, that's a sign of a good of a good player. I mean, you yeah, want some, exactly. you actually want somebody to say, you know, hey, I want you to tell me. And and look, I think the and this is like being a good sports coach, um, which I which I am probably not a good sports coach. I can't I can't watch a game and pull out. Some people have the ability to, or maybe here's a good example because I was talking about this this morning on another podcast. I watch a, um, I listen to a podcast called the Founders Podcast by a guy named David Sinra. If you have any entrepreneurial bone in you, I would get on, download this. It's kind of hard to find, but David Sinra, the Founders Podcast, and he basically reads books on entrepreneurs 
and he and he breaks he takes all the business concepts out all the things that you should learn about and and puts it into so it's like a little it's like a little uh you know little sermon he just takes it all out he puts it into the digestible information and he does this every week and it's phenomenal it's so great if he ever quit doing it i just put him on payroll and make him keep doing it it's the best 90 dollars i've ever spent but i read a book that i read a book called the sugar king about the guy about a guy in cuba who really ran the sugar markets and the the book goes through kind of the ups and downs uh, uh his business foray and through the different you know dictatorships and government entities and all, all the ups and downs and i read this book and i was like oh it's interesting but i don't if david i, I remember saying this to myself i'm like if david read this i just don't know that he there's a lot of business principles in this in this book and then I saw last week he'd put it online that he had read it. He just happened to read it. And I listened to it. Dude, he crushed it. He, I'm like, I didn't hear it. And maybe it's because I listened to it and didn't read it. But he was able to take stuff out of this book that I just never even heard. Like, I did not hear that in the book. Like, like he said it, and I remember reading it, but I didn't. wasn't like, oh, this is a great, like, I don't know if I would have highlighted that. And so I think it takes, the point is, I think some people are really good at watching something and then being able to distill things out of it. And then it's being a good teacher, right? Can you watch an event? Can you grab the highlights? Can you get them into some kind of digestible snippets? And then can you articulate them to your, and I think a lot of this probably comes down to knowledge and understanding, right? If you watch a ton of tennis, you're probably going to be able to identify bad, better. You're going to be a better, if you're a, if a steward of the game, you're going to be able to pull principles out that a non-steward of the game could not. So, you know, so yeah, so I, I think, you know, but it is, it is a skill. Some people are naturally good at watching something, anything, and then being able to pull out pieces of it and coach somebody. Other people can't like my kid plays hockey. I asked one of his coaches what he could work on. He gave me like a spreadsheet. I asked the other coach and he gave me like one, one thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, right, yeah, right, on, right on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit different. Some people like to read. Some people like to listen to something, watch a video. Some people just want to do it first or some people want to watch you do it first and then they do it. So everyone's a little bit different and it's important to ask that question up front. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Emmanuel, I, the, dude, I love, I love it. I, we, let's keep having you on. You oh, should man, just be like that. a, Let's just make it. you a let's make you a regular. <laughs> so this is good, man. I love talking to you. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And where, where can people find you at? If somebody wanted to track you down, they... really simple. You could my website is just my name, EmmanuelCarpenter.com, as well as you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Just you know, Google Emmanuel Carpenter, LinkedIn, you'll find me. All right. Well, thanks again. I loved it. Appreciate it, Brad. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time. 